Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast to this week's episode. Hope that everybody is is doing well and staying safe. Um, just want to thank thank you all for listening again and and for tuning in. Uh, first and foremost, I want to welcome to the podcast um, our good friend Connor Nogales. Connor, uh, if you don't mind, just kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and and kind of your connection to to us three. Um, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, yeah, I've known you guys um, since uh, middle school, really. So we've been friends all through high school, and we all went to college at Northwest Nazarene University together. Um, so I knew you guys throughout there. Um, and right now, I'm a grad student in electrical engineering at uh, Colorado University, and I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Awesome. So that's a, a little bit about Connor. I'm really looking forward to getting to this discussion um, with you, Connor. Connor, someone who I really, really look up to, um, and who I, I really appreciate his his thoughts and perspective. Um, so let's get right on into the episode. This week we're going to be talking about um, something that I think is is super important, super pertinent, um, and. Uh, maybe not talked about enough, so I'm really looking forward to going through this with, um, with us, especially in our age group. We're going to be talking about um, a quarter-life crisis. Um, obviously, more well-known is the the midlife crisis, but the quarter-life crisis, I think, is something that's uh, just as as relevant um, and especially damaging for, for young people, um, and I'm sure that, that we'll get into that. Uh, just for kind of a, a background, a quarter-life crisis is basically... Um, a crisis that typically happens between the ages of like 18 and 30. I know that um, some people extend that to 40 or something like that. Um, basically a crisis you have involving some anxiety over kind of the direction and, and quality of your life. Um, a bit of a, kind of to, to break it down, um, I think a little bit of a better definition. There's a clinical psychologist out of London named Alex um, um, Falke. I hope I said his last name right. Shout out to him. Um, and he, he quotes, uh, he says this, he says that it's a period of insecurity, doubt, and disappointment surrounding your career, relationships, and financial situation. Um, I, think that's, I think that's pretty typically kind of the areas that we see this quarter-life crisis coming up in, um, and, and we'll delve a little bit more into that. Obviously, this is a hugely psychological issue um, in my mind, and I'm sure we'll get the thoughts of the guys on that. Um, and just for a little bit of basis on where where psychological theory kind of lies on this um, psychologist named Eric Erickson is one of the, has kind of one of the big, he goes through uh, these stages of, of life that are, are psychosocial um, and that basically go throughout the, the lifespan. And during, during this time of life, um, the, the kind of the pr- trouble that's going on is this battle between what's called intimacy and isolation. So it's kind of um, this part of your life is centered on, you know, when you when you become this old, you want to you want to build who you are, and you want to become more intimate with relationships, whether that's romantic or you know just just the relationships that were already in your life, versus kind of isolating out out away from that. Um, and what the stage that comes before that is one where you really build your identity. So you're kind of building your identity, and then you get into this this sort of crisis that can lead to um, sort of a bit of loneliness, I think, and and some real isolation and kind of wondering, you know, this is not how I thought life would be and, and all the things that I've heard and all the things that I expected are maybe not um, um, how I thought they might be. So we're going to kind of delve into what that maybe looked like for each of us in our lives and some of the things that 
that we see that happens during this time of life. So I just want to start by opening it up to um, some initial thoughts from from you guys on um, on the, just the idea of the quarter life crisis. Yeah, definitely something that's been more prevalent in my life since, gosh, especially graduation and right before graduating from from undergrad. But just so many questions, as far as my experience, really kind of entailed so many different questions swirling around my head all the time. Like, what what does life look like now? It's been so structured ever since I was born, always being in school. And it's, it, now that I'm coming in this into this change of life, not in school anymore, it's like life is about to take a big, big turn. And there's just so many uncertainties around that. It, it was really easy to feel overwhelmed, I guess, in that, in that season of my life. And as of right now, being a year out of school, um, now in, in a bit more of like a stable secure atmosphere and don't deal with those questions, those insecurities, those uncertainties anymore. Uh, well, as not as many anymore, I should say. Um, but yeah, when it, when it hits, it hits big and it's something that, that really isn't discussed or acknowledged very often, but it's something that I, I probably everyone our, our age in our generation feels about this time. So, um, yeah, that's at least my my experience that I can speak to. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Like for me, like I I had a great experience in college. You know, lots I really good relationship with my professors and lots and you know and um, and these guys back in college and but I had these grand expectations for what life was going to be like when I got out of college and that it was just going to be things were going to go smoothly and I was going to be moving to a new city and you know having all this success in my career and everything. But then I kind of got out there and it just wasn't quite what I expected. It was, yeah, it was just different. It wasn't all, you know, perfect rainbows and butterflies and all that. And I just, I just found myself just looking at my day-to-day life and just thinking, is this really what I want to do every day for the next you know, 60 years until I retire, maybe 50 years, I guess, I don't know. So I know it's just a real question because you're so young and, and of course your career ties into your identity so much that you're almost having to make decisions about your identity and who you are and who you're going to be as you progress throughout life. So that was just kind of a, a real struggle that I've had over the past year, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think, I think on Ian's point, I think, yeah, we all, we all experience this to a different degree, certainly. And I think also at different ages, I mean, you can see this, you know, this, for some people they're able to, you know, kind of overcome these feelings pretty easily and, and other people, they kind of keep, they, they keep on and they cause some serious issues and totally agree that I, I mean i think you have there's always like this mindset like oh man when i get out of school like i can finally go do what i want i'll be i'll have the you know i'll be able to get into the thing that i want to do that i've always had this idea of and you know everything's going to be like like awesome i'm out of school i'll be like living my actual life like what my life is supposed to be like for the rest of it and there's kind of like expectation that it's going to be just like uh, you know sunshine and rainbows but it really it really isn't i mean it comes with a whole new set of struggles and one of the most difficult transitions that you have to make in your life, whether you're doing that out of, out of high school or out of college or, you know, whatever your circumstance may be, it comes with it. So many different stumbling blocks, um, mentally and, and even physically with, with moving and and doing things of that sort. And just a lot of transition that really wears on you. And you're just kind of, you're like, man, where's that, 
where's that, you know, it was supposed to be so great after I got out of school. Like everything was supposed to be fine. Everything was supposed to be like kind of set in stone. And it doesn't feel that way. I think at first, and for a lot of people that might, that might keep going until you can, you know, really get your footing in. Okay. This is like, this is where I want my life to head. And these are the things that I really want to do and that I really want to pursue, um, going forward. Yeah. That's so true about having like these very quote unquote definitive expectations before, you know, a big, a big leap, leap in your lifestyle. Like I remember before graduation, I was so excited to, to get out, have a new adventure, really change things up. I was feeling really antsy about, you know, still being in school in the same town I was born in and never really having any huge opportunity to, to leave the state really other than week long trips or anything. Um, so right before graduation, I was, I was stoked beyond measure to leave and get out. And a week after graduation is when I moved to Nebraska. And I remember that first day I, I got settled into my new place, had to run to the grocery store, get some food. I was just tired from travel all day, getting to a new place, getting into a new state, a new city that I had never experienced in my life other than pictures that I've seen and things I've researched beforehand. Um, I remember sitting at home that evening, my first night in Nebraska, and just like the reality hit in like an instant. And it's like, wow, this is nothing like I expected. Like I'm totally on my own, like completely through and through. And that was just something I hadn't really experienced before in my life. And in that moment, I definitely realized like how much in life I had taken for granted as far as uh, everyone in my family, you know, close friends, everyone in my, you know, tight inner circles. Um, and those important relationships. And then all of a sudden they were, they were gone. They were just a phone call away, but being states and states away was just such a new experience. And I, I, I vividly remember like when that reality hit and it was just like a total wake up call. And really from then on, I've made it a habit to really hold myself accountable and kind of evaluating what in life did I used to take for granted and what stuff do I really appreciate? So I think at that point I really started practicing gratitude more often and just acknowledge, acknowledging those realities themselves. So that's, I guess, in a way, that's one like positive outcome from my quarter life crisis. So, yeah. Ian, so uh, your time in Nebraska, right now you're kind of solidified in Boise. Did you, when you got to Nebraska and this, like you said, you had this moment of clarity and all of a sudden it hit you and the reality hit you. Was it kind of that moment and then the coming months there in Nebraska that you decided you wanted to settle in Boise kind of long-term? Um, not right away. Definitely when the reality hit, it was a shock in terms of like just so much change all at once. And at that point, I definitely wasn't ready to move back home. Um, my home, not, you know, not Nampa, but, but Boise, the Boise area. It was really just like a few months after that, that I kind of realized just how much of appreciation I had for the Northwest and definitely going back to what I took for granted originally, I definitely took for granted how much I love Idaho, how much I love the Northwest and just how accessible all of my hobbies and passions were that I had kind of revolved my life around being mountain biking and backpacking, camping, whatever. So that was definitely a huge shock getting used to Nebraska. But 
Yeah, it was maybe around the four or five year mark or five month mark, sorry, that I kind of started reevaluating the next steps in life and kind of where I wanted to go just because, again, the possibilities were endless and I could do anything. But it was actually a lot of my close, close friends and just the people of Nebraska in general that taught me like the valuable, valuable lesson of home. And really like the people of Nebraska taught me how to truly, truly appreciate where I came from and the place that I call home. Really, because when I first got there, Nebraska is just flat and it's a huge, huge change of pace from from home, from the mountains and stuff of Idaho. Um, so I, I will say, and I hate to admit it now looking back on it, but I really did not like just the setting of Nebraska. But after a few months there, I definitely had this new instilled appreciation for nature and the world around me but I just I had to teach myself to learn to see through a different lens and that was definitely from um, a lot from my friend Dakota biologist down in Lincoln so hopefully we can have him on the on an episode here soon but yeah just going on hikes through him through the native Nebraskan grassland prairies which I'd never had any experience in and just seeing the just the intricacies of those different ecosystems where at first I was just just kind of wrote it off as oh, this is different. I don't like it. But then spending some time to truly appreciate it is kind of where I came to terms from that. So originally when I moved to Nebraska, I didn't like it because it was just different and it was flat and it was hot and humid and there's just no mountains. But through spending time with the locals there and the good, good friends I made there, they taught me how to truly appreciate my home as they appreciate their home. So through getting a new perspective, in that place gave me a new perspective of a place I thought I already had figured out. So around that time, again, probably the fourth or fifth month is when I really realized I started taking home for granted and just how much I truly appreciated home. And that's kind of where my decision kind of came to be in terms of deciding to come back, not to Nampa, but to Boise. I'm glad you came around in Nebraska at the end of that because it started out kind of rough. I think you were going to start, start talking crap about Nebraska and we're going to lose all those listeners, all seven of them. So, <laughs> oh, No, not at all. I, I freaking love Nebraska and I've been actually missing it a lot lately, lately. I'm looking forward to going back to visit all my people back there. But it definitely took a little bit of time to warm up to it just because it's such a different atmosphere. But I do love it. I do really love Nebraska. It was interesting the comment you made about the mountains because that's something that the people I'm in Chicago right now in Illinois and it's very flat here at the Midwest all is very flat. And that's the comment they keep making. It's like, there's no mountains here. That's like, they keep telling me it's so flat. There's no mountains. And to me, I didn't notice that at all because I'm from the Midwest originally. And so mountains to me are the different part. And so I don't really notice when there's no mountains, but that was everyone who's from the Northwest. Their first thought when they come out here is, Oh my gosh, there's no mountains. Like it's just flat. There's nothing to see off in the distance. And it's just a weird thing that um, I didn't notice, but people, when you're from the Northwest all the time and all of a sudden, that part of the landscape is gone. It's jarring. Yeah. It was strange. Like not seeing the sky. And I remember that vividly and just like nothing obstructing the sky in the background. It was just took a little bit to get used to, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're getting at an important piece of, of what the, what quarter life crises are all about for, for every individual is that in this time of life, whether you're transitioning out of college into a job or out of high school into a job, it's a time of your life where you're making those big transitions 
And when you do that, it kind of forces you to reevaluate like what actually, what actually matters to me? Like what is, what's creating meaning in my life? And, you know, maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be like my whole, my whole upbringing. Like I always thought that it was going to be maybe this certain career or something, but when you actually go and do it and you actually make that transition, you realize, okay, here's the things that I think really actually matter to me and that actually, you know, keep me going and give me energy and are what make me feel like fulfilled and feel that my life is full of meaning. And sometimes it's not always the things that you thought it was always going to be. And that's a really difficult thing to kind of get a, get a grip of and also to tell other people about because other people are like, you know, no, like this is what you're supposed to be doing. Like this is what a, what a good person does, you know, and what you were supposed to do to be set up for success is to do this. And maybe, maybe what that is, isn't, isn't what you're realizing is your top priority and what, what creates meaning for you. And for a lot of people, that's just a hole that like, it's hard to get out of, you know, being able to kind of having to rearrange what really matters to me. How can I convey that to the people, the people who matter to me? And how can I also like work that work that through in my own, my own consciousness and, and understand what that means um, to me. Yeah, definitely. It, it was a very interesting dynamic making that transition. Cause I think myself, especially I'm, I'm sure everyone really, we find our value in our passions and, and, and what we hold most dearly. And for me, when that, those hobbies and those passions are set around the environment of my home, all of a sudden being in a radically different landscape, having that, that sense of identity stripped in one day was something I was, didn't really expect, nothing I'd thought of, and definitely took me off guard. So in some way, I, I felt as though I'd lost a part of myself, and I had to kind of rediscover myself in other areas, which is definitely something I didn't quite foresee. It was, it was a fun challenge. It kept me on my toes in that transition. But yeah, I'd love to hear Connor's uh, experience with moving to grad school, moving to Colorado from home. And you like so far, you've definitely been in, in that different atmosphere. You've been in your new home longer than I was in Nebraska. So with your, I think you have a little more experience to, to kind of draw from in terms of this topic, especially moving from home. So I'd love to hear your story and your, your experience. Yeah. Yeah, no. So all through high school and through college, I always thought that that having a good career that for me, which was engineering and being really good at that was the key to happiness was the, was the path to the, having that good life. But then when I left college, I had a great experience in college. And then when I left college and went to graduate school, my parents moved me into Boulder, Colorado. I just, I'll never forget that moment when I saw them drive away. Like I always thought that I was so excited to be on my own, doing my own thing. I was pumped about this. But the moment I saw them drive away, it was like a punch right into the gut. Like I could hardly breathe. And like, I spent probably the next couple of weeks just being really sad. And I spent a while just really just grieving the loss of my my former life and in college and grieving the loss, like not being around my friends and my family. So that was just a, a really tough transition. And like, I guess I just started to realize in my life that what I really valued was different than the expectations that society had put on me for um, for what I should value. What I really valued was was friends and family and relationships and, and that type of thing. And so I really just had to spend a lot of time in figuring out how best to reconcile those two expectations that I had in my life and that were set for me. And I'm still trying to do that and still trying to figure that out. But it definitely, 
definitely like like you were saying Ian, it definitely helped me to to value different relationships that i have better i value like home and um and friendships a lot more now that they're taken away from you so yeah i just think that's interesting that you said that too but yeah it's still an issue that i'm working through to this day yeah i mean and the, the emotions that come with that man they're heavy like they're <laughs> they they suck they're not they're not easy and I think that's that's really such a difficult thing to deal with with these with these sorts of transitions is the emotions that come with that. They're exactly what you like describe, Connor. It's it's you know it's you know just like really actual sadness and and almost like a grief uh, in a sense, like you talked about, and maybe even like some anger. I think comes in there as well to like man, like this is not what I thought it was going to feel like. Like it's supposed to feel supposed to feel better than this. I'm supposed to be like happy and excited and, and ready to like move on. And, and that doesn't always happen. So I think there's a little bit of anger that's mixed in with that. And it just makes it really difficult. It makes it something that, that you have to kind of, kind of struggle with. And I think on top of that, like all the societal like standards are make that really difficult as well, because, you know, there's like this idea that your, you know, your twenties, your thirties, man, those are the best times of your life. Right. And I, I won't, I won't disagree that like, uh, there's a lot of the greatest times of, of, you know, your life come during that span, but then it makes it so that when, you know, as someone who's, who's like in my early twenties and then, and then, and then if you move forward and you're like, man, I don't feel like this is the best time of my life. Like, I don't feel like this isn't what it's supposed to feel like. Then you're like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Or, but really it's just that, you know, people in their twenties and thirties go through the same, the same stuff that anybody else does, right? They go through all those emotions and you're actually going through transitions in your life that maybe make those things come up more often. And so there's just a real kind of disconnect between, between what society sees this age being like, and then what it actually is like, you know, from time to time. And just the fact that, you know, you don't hear about, you don't hear about a thing like a quarter life crisis or that sort of thing. You hear about a midlife crisis, which is just as pertinent and just as real, but it's just what, what society thinks of, this particular time in life. Um, and just also the fact that, I mean, it's like, there's this pressure when you're coming out of high school or coming out of college that you better know what you're going to do with your life. You better know why you're going to do it. And then you better follow through with it. Um, because otherwise you're, you're, you know, you're lazy, you're not directed, you're, you don't have goals, you don't have these things, but man, some people like, sometimes you just, sometimes you just don't know. You're like, it's, you're really young, man. I mean, your brain's still developing. You just, it's hard to be able to define yourself. And in that really critical period where you're trying to build your identity to feel like I've got to have it all figured out. And if I don't follow through with this plan that I make, like people are going to look at me differently. And that's a really difficult thing I think to deal with. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like those of us that went to college, we, we set our career path our freshman year of college for a lot of us. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't know myself my freshman year of college. I didn't know my identity, who I was. So it's, that's interesting that you say that. Now you know yourself exactly. <laughs> Not exactly, but a lot better than I did five years ago. <laughs> yeah, I've never questioned, I've never questioned that Tanner. Tanner probably as a young babe knew, knew himself inside and out. <laughs> I knew he, knew he was, was going to be a software engineer. Yeah. <laughs> He was just ready. He was ready out of the womb. He knew. He, he was born with a keyboard in his hand. <laughs> Look at him. It's his kind of interesting. I C plus plus. <laughs> Those are letters. Um, but it's kind of interesting. The inverse 
thus far, I only graduated two months ago, so I haven't been separated from education as long as you guys have, but you guys all sort of left after graduation. Actually, all of you definitely left after graduation and I'm the only one who stayed after graduation, but I'm the only one who, but you guys are all trying to come back to Boise and I'm like the only one who's trying to leave Boise. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just realizing this inverse right now. Once you're gone, you'll be back. Well, that's why I was kind of asking about the Nebraska thing. I kind of experienced a similar thing when I went to Washington, D.C. for a semester in college. When I first got there, I was kind of freaking out. And I remember, Mike, my last few days in Idaho, I was like gazing at the mountains thinking, I won't see this again for like six months because I knew that I was going to have nothing like that on the East Coast. But it was a little different then. It's because I was in an educational program. I was surrounded by a bunch of people in the exact same situation as me. But like the idea of moving to a Washington DC or basically any city and not knowing anyone there like you did Ian and like you did Connor pretty much. And now Luke, you kind of did and you had your wife with you, but just moving somewhere where all of a sudden your connections are dropped into the, like the low single digits does terrify me. But yeah, it's definitely something to think about. I used to kind of fantasize moving away and I always just like wanted to get out as soon as I could. But now I'm realizing that it's important to pick somewhere to go where you have people to you know spend the time with and not just kind of be a loner doesn't really matter where you are if you're alone you kind of have to have your friends around you yeah i think i think one of the biggest i guess distinctions between like quarter life crisis and midlife crisis is i I feel like with i can't speak to it from experience obviously but i feel like midlife crisis is oh my life is half over i'm going to be dead soon like and freaking out that way right whereas i feel like a very kind of common theme in some of our experiences is it's still death, much like mid midlife crisis, but death in a very, very different way. And like what Connor mentioned before is like the death of your past life. And I think one of the hardest parts of probably most of our transitions from school to working life is all of a sudden you have this, you've had structure, you've had organization, you've had your entire life through school, you've had everything planned out. You knew what was coming up, you knew what was expected of you. And it was quote unquote easy because of that. As soon as you graduate, and maybe it's a little different for you guys since both of you went straight into grad school, but like as soon as you graduate, if you're not going back into school, it's like you have no structure anymore. And you're kind of like, it feels as though you're like floating in this abyss almost. It's like, there are no, well, there are seemingly no expectations of you. Like, you know, you don't have any more classes to go to. You don't have another semester coming up and you realize, oh crap, I can do anything I want in life now in, in our situations. And it's, it's very overwhelming all of a sudden, but yeah, you like you lose what you used to be as, as a kid and as a student. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're truly, truly an adult now. And you have to make your decisions, figure out what you're doing in life for the rest of your life. And it's, it's just overwhelming. And those uncertainties, what the future holds is kind of a lot to take in all of a sudden. And I think that's kind of the core of a lot of quarter life crisis crises. If I had to, if I had to guess. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times it does just, it does feel like it just feels, it's weird, but it just feels like you're not, you're just like thrown in, even though you kind of know you've been like waiting for it your whole life, but it does just feel like you're kind of thrown in. But I also think 
I think that all of us would agree, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that while these trend, like this time in life and this transition is a really difficult one and it comes with a lot of these struggles, the, the way that it kind of throws you into making decisions and adapting is also a really building thing. And I think something that helps you become the person that you are as well. So I think that, you know, it's not like, this is like an entirely like, oh my gosh, like this, like this part of life is just bad and, you know, leads to a lot of difficult things. I think also getting thrown into those situations, man, it makes you, it makes you become a stronger person. It makes you realize, all right, I gotta, you know, I gotta do, I gotta do stuff on my own now. I gotta take charge. I'm the one who does these things. I don't have other people to, you know, call on whenever I need, you know, help. I'm doing the the real things that I've always thought about, but now I actually have to actually take responsibility for them. And I'm the one who's, who's, who's running my life and I have to adapt to the different situations that I'm going to come up on. And, and I can't just, you know, fold to those things. So I think in my mind, while a lot of these, um, I think it's really important to understand how difficult this time of life is for people. Um, especially in like my field, when you're looking at, um, at, at mental illness, I mean, it's like 50, 50% of, um, of lifelong mental illnesses start, um, by the age of 14 and it's like 75 by the time that you're 21. So these are like really, you know, it's early in life when these sorts of, sorts of things start to start to show up. Um, and, and it's just, it's just important to understand the sorts of things people go through during this time. But it's also important for me to understand how this can help me grow as a person and how these adversities, how I can overcome them and, and what that means for me growing as a person. Yeah, no doubt. It, uh, dealing with this adversity, it really makes you a lot tougher, like, you know, because you have to be to survive and you have to be adaptable to survive and to make friends and to thrive in your new environment. So yeah, no, that's, that's good. So I guess, um, I guess my next question would be, um, I mean, we've talked about, we've talked about how this is a tough time and obviously depending on a lot of different factors, it's, it's tougher, easier for people and they face very different things than we've faced, um, you know, depending on what your situation is. But I think I want to talk a little bit about, so then, so then where do we go from here? You know, how do we, how do we use this time to adapt ourselves and to kind of point ourselves towards the things that, that really are what we care about and what make meaning in our own lives? You know, like how do we go about kind of really trying to use this time to better ourselves and, and to, to thrive in this time of life rather than, you know, kind of fall to some of these things that we've been talking about. Yeah. So, so your question, Luke really is like what you have a quarter life crisis. What do you do about it? And I think, I think there's, you really are faced with three, three solutions that you could do. You can either treat your, your job. If you, if you're not happy with your job, say you could treat it exactly or your career, like you could treat it just like a job. So you just go there and you make your money. Um, and, you're just happy with that. And you it's, it's purely the time that you spend at work is purely for money. It's a job you can be, you can completely change your job and change your career and find a whole new direction to go in life. It's pretty drastic, um, but it's certainly doable. Or this, the third option, which I'm partial to is that you find meaning in your career, in your job that you already currently have. And you just find ways to, to make it worth something, make it worthwhile. And you just find ways to adapt to find some sense of happiness, some sense of joy and fulfillment through that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a a great point. And this is something that I'm huge into the, the, um, 
meaning meaning making and and those sorts of things and kind of self-transcendence is something i'm really interested in in the psychological sense for sure and also the idea of of making meaning out of whatever situation you happen you happen to be in i think it's a great point that you make connor that you know at at some point you have to take the situation that you have and say okay what what of what's my role in this what makes me tick in this role that i have whether that's your career whether it's where you're located physically whether it's your relationships and doing some of that prioritization of here's what actually here's what keeps me going here's what i care about and what i'm actually passionate about how can i realistically you know work that into my life or those ways of of making meaning are continuing for me where i'm not stuck in a rut you know doing something i don't enjoy what what are the parts that i can find where where I can make that meaning out of it. Or if I need to, if I need to make a drastic change, you need to make a drastic change. You know, if, 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 if it's like, man, I've got some, that thing that I've always thought about doing, but I kind of set myself down this path and I want to follow through on this, you know, it's going to take a lot of courage to maybe take a step and do something that is actually what you're passionate about. And, and I think, I think it's a difficult thing, but I mean, this is your life. You know, if you, you gotta, you gotta kind of reach towards those things that, you feel are a way for you to kind of self transcend and to make that meaning and to kind of point your life towards something that's not just, and I, I don't want to say not just money because for some people, their career and money is a, that's how they make their meaning in their life. And that's not a bad thing. That's where their motivation and comes from. But I think that everybody's got to find what that is for them and try and adapt and shape your life to, okay, what are some things that I can do to point myself towards that? Out of curiosity, I'd love to hear, between you guys, like what meaning have you guys found in your career paths and your extra schooling and tearing your new job? Still looking for it. <laughs> hey, as long as you're searching, as long as you don't give up. As long as you're looking, that's right. <laughs> I'm considering switching full time into music production after my pots and pans hit single. <laughs> no, but Tanner, I think that you have a valid point. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with treating your, your, your job, your career as just a job to make money and that you find meaning through other things like your music. I didn't say that. podcast. I mean, you were kind of saying it. No, no, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. No, you're right. Yeah, so no, you're we're right. trying to get you to give us a serious answer. No, you're right. At the moment, my career isn't the most fulfilling thing to me, but I don't, I don't think I need to switch yet. I'm not at that point. I think, I think there's a lot of places where I can employ software engineering where I'll feel you know, like I'm doing something that I feel more passionate about, but at the moment it is sort of a drain. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not realistic to be able to just like put yourself into a, you know, a situation where you're like, okay, this is it. This is what I want. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's just not possible sometimes where you have to just kind of, you have to work towards it and understand, okay, here's what I really want to go towards right now. I'm, you know, this is what I need to do, but like here's here's my plan for actually moving towards the thing that makes me excited and that makes me you know really care yeah especially at the age that we are all at you know just year less than a year just out of college it's like for for a lot of people in our situation these next steps after graduation are stepping stones it's the process to get to the end goal i don't think i don't think a lot of people get to jump straight into their dream right away, but it's, it's always kind of having that, that end vision in sight and just making, making the proper steps to get to it and not losing sight. 
My goal really is to make one of those TikToks where they have those crazy custom built boats. <laughs> that's the that's the ultimate. That's what you're pointing. I want to be the author of that TikTok. <laughs> Anything that gets me there. <laughs> those boats are so cool. Dream high, Tanner. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, it's important to say on this on this topic that it's okay to not know what those things are that make you you know the, that make you tick as well. It's not like it's clear cut all the time. What you're like, man, this is really what gets me going. For some people, it's kind of tough because they're like, I like, I don't know. But I think it's important to say that, especially, you know, people who are in high school or in college and who are feeling that pressure of like, I've got to set this course. Like, it's all right if you don't know, like you got, you can go, you know, you got, you got to, you got to realize that, you know, it's okay to not know. It's not okay to do nothing about it, I think but it's okay to not know and to be like in the process of figuring that out. And I think it's, it just becomes really obscure when you look at the way that society looks at this time of life. Like it makes it really hard to understand that, especially when you're a little bit younger and obviously we're, we're barely out of that age group, but just like, I mean, you think about it, like the people who are in high school and in college and who are like, yeah, I don't really know what I want to do. Like, there's just kind of this, you're kind of just like, Ooh, like really, you don't know what you're going to do. Like, Oh man, like you better get your stuff together. But like, no, like that's, that's okay. Like it's just, everybody has their process differently. Some people know exactly what they want to do and they love it from when they're, you know, pretty young, but other people, you know, you've got to figure it out. And, and that's a healthy process to go through, I think. And it's one that, unfortunately like our society kind of shames to an extent that's what a liberal liberal arts degree is for (laughs) yeah i think that if you're i got like my advice that i would give to somebody who's like searching for um what what they want to do in life what they want their direction to be just just think about what just gets you excited inside you know like what makes your stomach kind of turn a little bit and just gives you the butterflies and and if you find something like that then just pursue it no matter what it is because the money, like, don't, I don't think you should be too concerned with money. You know, I mean, obviously some people should be, but, but you, if it's really your dream and you really feel passionate about it, you can make it work. You know, all it takes is a little creative problem solving on that front. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think, like I said, it's depending on your, your circumstances in life or the things that you happen to have, um, you've got more opportunity to do these sorts of, to chase these sorts of things. You know, sometimes just because of your circumstance, you're kind of stuck and it's harder. It's definitely a harder thing for some people than for, for other people because of their resources and the the kind of opportunity that they have. And I definitely see that now I've been pretty lucky to have, I I had kind of have the space to think, to really think about these things and, and to be able to be like, yeah, no, like I should go after the things that make me excited. Whereas some people are, you know, they have to do what they do. They don't have that choice. They're, you know, they're, they're just making it by and they're, you know, even entertaining the idea of, of like, like what we're, what we're thinking about is definitely more difficult for other people. And I can't speak to, to that, to that, you know, experience. Um, so I think it's, it's just different for everybody. And it's, it's, it's difficult to say that I can really speak for, for everybody in that way, I guess. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. All right. To kind of, to kind of wrap up this conversation. I mean, I think, I think what, what we wanted to get across is, is just that, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a time of life where a lot of different things come at you. A lot of really huge transitions and decisions in your life come at you. And 
things are tough. Like it's tough and, and it's not always easy for everybody. And it's also a time where you can grow. So I think it really, we really wanted to, to kind of say that, you know, here's our experiences with, with this time of our life. And, um, here's how we've struggled and here's how we've, how we've tried to work through it and how we're trying to grow, um, currently. So I really appreciate Ian and, and Connor and Tanner, all, all you guys kind of opening up and, and sharing your, your personal stories about this part of your life. Cause it's, you know, it's not, it's not easy to, to talk about necessarily, but I do think it's important to, to bring light to and to kind of open up that, that conversation for everybody. So now we're going to transition into a little thing that we are going to call the absurd mailbag. But actually first, before we get to that, I know that we, uh, we need to recognize and give a little shout out to our contest winner from last episode. And he had a request for, uh, Tanner to shout him out and say, so I'm going to hand it over to Tanner. Well, thank you all for your submissions. A lot of you are right, but only one of you was first. So, uh, Nathan Teeter, congratulations. Ah, don't let anyone on this podcast. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks, Nathan. And for those of you who are wondering, the answer was last name to the riddle. You have to go back and listen to the episode if you want to know the riddle. The answer was last name. Um, again, thanks, thanks you guys for uh, for sending in your messages and 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 all that. We're going to get into this absurd mailbag. So this is we uh, we asked on our Instagram for people to kind of send in questions or topics that they wanted us to discuss. We're going to do a few of those questions that you submitted here. Uh, thanks to everybody who who put in topics and and other things. Please keep those coming and and also just feedback. You can send that to our to our Instagram page which is just the name of the podcast. So really appreciate everybody who sent, who sent things in. And we'll, those of you who sent topics in, we'll definitely be trying to incorporate those into, into future episodes. But we're going to get into just a few of the questions that you guys sent in. And weirdly, a lot of these are about our most interesting co-host here, Tanner Trocht. So we're going to get into one. Flattered. The first one, the first one we have here about Tanner is what is the origin of Tanner's nickname Gooch? What's the origin of Gooch? What is the origin story of Gooch? Well, the thing is about Gooch, I think I actually called Connor Gooch before I ever called myself Gooch. Yeah, I think so that's true. I kind of, and I, I'm the you one who started calling, well, I stole it, but I also gave it yourself. to him. Yeah. So it was my own thing. The other in- interesting thing on like nicknames and me stealing them is my Instagram handle is smooth T and there was actually one of my friends in high school who I called smooth T and then I realized that that was a way I could use that as well. And so I just took that from him as well, but I, I also know, gave it I to him. I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. There's a, so real, all my nicknames, there's a real pattern well, here. What the pattern is this, I think it's that I like testing out nicknames on people. I'm like, oh, that actually is a good nickname. And then I'm, if it, if I can use it, then I'll take it. But if it's a bad nickname, then nah. Then I'll just keep calling them that, but not myself. Yeah. (laughs) So I called Connor. I called Connor C. Gooch a lot, and then I started calling myself. I don't. I started calling myself Tanner Gooch. I don't know why. (laughs) But uh, basically, I don't know why. Well, I use the word Gooch just because um, I don't think dictionary definition it has any meaning. It's just kind of a. It's kind of like the F word. You can make it mean whatever you want, but it's not as (laughs) crass as the F word. But it definitely like makes people bag. uncomfortable. It's a handbag, right? Yeah. Gucci. 
<laughs> Not quite. Isn't Gucci a brand? Yes, yes, I think it is. Listen, if there's it's one thing brand. I know about Tanner is that he enjoys making people uncomfortable. So it it. Fits. Huh. I also never say Gucci. Gucci is weird. Gucci <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, it's we're gonna Gucci. Uh, <laughs> it's just Gucci. I'm gonna move on to the next one, which is. This one is also about Tanner. I want to just lump them together so we can just get over talking. About get him it. out of the way. Yeah, basically get him out of the way. Um, and this Please. one is actually, this one is just a statement about Tanner that I, I I would like to hear from Tanner about. This was sent in, I'm going to say anonymously. And uh, this here says, Tanner, guess who. <laughs> Tanner eats corn dogs at 8 a.m. I have proof. Okay, it's either Lexi or Casey. The proof I is like I do it every morning say, at 8 a.m. You eat a corn dog at 8 a.m. in the morning? It's not a corn dog. They, they, I don't know why they're so insistent on calling it a corn dog. It's a breakfast, uh, it's a breakfast sausage on a stick surrounded by a pancake. It, it resembles a corn dog because oh, it's, okay. it's kind of breaded and it's on a stick, but it's not a hot dog in the middle. It's a sausage and it's not just breading on the outside. It's a pancake. And so it's a perfectly concise, easy to make breakfast meal. I just put it in the microwave for 55 seconds and I'm eating a sausage and a pancake <laughs> right off the bat. It would take so much longer to make a sausage, make a pancake, and then wrap the pancake around the sausage and find a way to make it stick together. They, Jimmy Dean does it all for you. And I don't know why I'm getting so much crap for it. Uh, hey, listen, I am, I'm Jimmy honestly... Dean. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to hear that's not a real corn dog, although what you're eating is no. still pretty garbage, but I mean, it's better than Who has time to make dog. breakfast? Everybody. I work at 9 in the morning. My alarm goes off at 8.55. I'm not really much of a breakfast guy either. I hardly have time to make the Jimmy Dean corn dog, (laughs) if I'm being honest. I barely have the 55 seconds. If it it had to be in the microwave for a minute and a half, there's no way. Seriously. (laughs) Corn cereal, man, is less than 55 seconds. (laughs) Well, I go through phases. I'd love to get a, give a message super quick to our supposedly anonymous uh, uh, listener that sent this in. Uh, please mm-hmm. send us that proof, and yeah, we will post it on our send social Send the proof to our Thank Instagram, you and we will, Thank you very much. we will pull that up. <laughs> and we'll see if Tanner's actually being truthful. That's not a real corn dog with that proof. Yeah, I'm definitely lying. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into... Uh, we got a couple more questions. I'm going to save the one that I feel is the best for last, but... Um, and obviously we put the worst two first. So um, <laughs> our our next question we here, still love you guys. and this was definitely also directed at Tanner, but we are all going to we're all going to answer this one because we all can. And it is, who is your favorite roommate and why? I live alone. Oh. So Ian, who really... is your, who's your favorite roommate? I live alone. So is it yourself? Yes. <laughs> Right now, Connor's in your house. No question about it. As of right now, it is Sea Dog himself. Thanks, man. Thanks for visiting. I appreciate it. Um, I'm definitely. I'm. I'm not sure if I'm legally required to say it, but I. I am required to say that my wife is my favorite roommate. Um, I. Yeah, she's my only roommate, so I. I mean, it's you know. It's probably the right call. She's probably listening. <laughs> but like, but like you would choose her anyways, right? I would choose. I would absolutely yeah. choose her anyways. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Connor, if your roommates listen to this podcast, they're going to hear this. So you better be careful with your I answer. I know. I do have to be careful. I live with a crazy Spanish guy who, who calls everybody <laughs> bad words. So that's fun. <laughs> Terms of endearment, really. He has the best. Really, it is. Yeah. So he's the favorite roommate? Yeah, he's pretty cool. Okay. Well, give me. He's pretty cool. So that that's makes a good generic better. answer. Tanner. Tanner has 
an interesting situation. I'd like to hear, and I want a definitive answer. I don't want, I don't want you to tip. This is for this. sure going to put him in an awkward spot. It's going to put him in an awkward spot. No yeah, matter this what. Is I'm looking bad. forward to this. Luckily, they don't listen to the podcast, as far as I can tell, so they won't know until someone tells them. And also, if I if I say a real honest thing, then I'm going to start a civil war in there. <laughs> Well, actually, you know what? I don't think they really care, if I'm being honest. Like, I think oh, I could no. say any three of them. Hey, if you need a place you know, to stay, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> I, I love all my roommates. They're all good in their own unique little ways. Emphasize little? No. Um, but <laughs> Jess is definitely my, she's my homie in the house. Ooh, I, that seemed like a pretty, that was easy. It was easy for you. Well, that was pretty, well, Casey and Lexi are like a two-piece in a pot, and then me and Jess okay. are... Also two peas in a pot. <laughs> okay, so the second part of the question is why? Is just because you're you're more like I don't know, for some reason me and her personalities, we just act like like idiots around each other. It's like sometimes they leave us alone in the house and it it gets dangerous because we start to act like morons like to each other so much that we start to get mad at each other. And so like a couple weeks ago, they left us alone for like four hours and we, we started out fun. We were just having fun. And then we started yelling at each other and it was sarcastic. And then it turned to serious yelling. And then when Lexi got home, you know, we asked her to mediate. <laughs> so basically me and her get along g- good in short spurts. And then eventually it just turns explosive. But you know, all in all, I think it's a good relationship. That, that sounds like your, your sort of relationship. So that, that it makes sense. Yeah. Like when I say weird stuff around Jess, she like rolls with it. The other girls kind of like look at me weird and tell me to stop. But Jess like kind of gives it back to me, which I appreciate. That is, that is nice. Um, okay. We're going to get into uh, what is a great question from one of our listeners. And this question is with all four of us being lifelong friends, what is your favorite memory together? Oh, gosh. There's a lot of them. So let's start. Let's start. Let's start with Ian. Ian, give us your favorite memory. Oh shoot! I've, uh, gosh, how, how long has it been since we got that question? Maybe a week. A week or so, yeah. I've been thinking about it like ever since, and just trying to like narrow them down, trying to choose because God, there's so many, from late nights, sleep out, sleepovers, game nights, movie nights, throughout high school, drinking off-brand apple-flavored soda and just <laughs> eating candy and uh, Little Caesars, of course, <laughs> to getting stuck in a lake, which is a whole nother episode. One of my fondest memories that I kept going back to, and I'm just going to say one word, Jamestown. Uh, okay. okay. That's a great game. Yeah. Every, was it like Wednesday night after uh, Wednesday night church, mm. we would all go either to Tanner's or Connor's or Luke's house and there's this video game with like tons of different levels and like several different difficulties and we beat the game on all the difficulties until the very like hardest level or the very hardest difficulty very last level we were stuck on that level for weeks or months or something it was impossible it was a long time and I I, gosh I specifically remember that night we were at Luke's house Super, super, well, not super late, but like it was getting dark. His parents wanted to go to bed or something. And we were making such good progress. We made it to the to the final boss. And that one time that we finally got it and beat the game on the hardest difficulty, we were all yelling 
at the top of our lungs and your parents were there watching and cheering my, us my on. family was invested by the because they watched us play that game they knew how long we had played it for they were invested oh by yeah then. oh yeah they they, they'd been a part of the process sure. as much as we had and like they they were celebrating alongside us and just just the the, the amount of satisfaction and relief the the fruits of our friendship if you will have have, have come to this very moment and they were it, was ripe. Just, it was honestly i was just so glad to be done with the game finally and it had gotten to that point but like it was, it was also kind of sad it was also kind of sad it was very it was sad like, yeah. we got all those ducats so that's for sure that's a great memory don't be afraid That'd to be vaunt don't be afraid yeah, to vaunt if play. you're looking for a game to play with your friends go look up Jamestown absolutely fantastic hours of fun hours of fun if you need any tips go and DM yeah, lots, lots, of would, ha- lots of hours we would attempt to explain the plot but I honestly don't really understand the plot that I couldn't explain sense. it absolutely about- ridiculous Something about oh, Mars and conquistadors, Mars. conquistadors on Mars. Oh, yeah. Conquistadors, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Tanner, let's go to you. Um, like Ian, I have a lot of things going through my head at the moment. A lot of the moments I was thinking about, I realized that like one of us was missing. Like I was thinking about uh, Toronto two summers ago, where Ian was missing. I was thinking about Vienna this past Christmas break, where Luke was missing. It kind of seems like off and on one of us has been missing lately, but such is life. I legit didn't. I haven't actually made a decision yet. So you came to me at the wrong time. But, um, <laughs> You're on the spot. If, now. I, if I had to pick one, probably well, I'm trying to find the one moment I liked. <laughs> trying to find the only the only moment I enjoyed. <laughs> Tanner's favorite memory is when we all moved away. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, no, no. Okay. I just remembered. Okay. Now I have it. Okay. My favorite moment, 100% is this, was uh, main event in high school. All of us playing on the same basketball team. (laughs) It was so funny because Luke was the only legitimate basketball player. And the rest of us were just like, just trying to get by. And we all, there's always these moments during the games that I just remember vividly. Like the one I'm thinking of, the, the one I always think about is Ian pulling off this crazy behind-the-back dribble on a fast break and putting up a layup on some guy. And Ian <laughs> didn't play any sports at all in high school. And then he looked like he oh legit God. had practiced that move a lot. And just that whole series, and Connor's brother Kyle wore a suit to our games, had a clipboard, and was our coach. And the teams we played against were taking it super seriously, and we were just a bunch of schmucks who didn't know anything about basketball except for Luke. So that whole thing was just hilarious, and that's definitely the, my favorite thing I think we all did together. We there was definitely won. some games we should not. And we won. almost won. We almost won. We almost. It was almost a Cinderella story, but nobody, nobody remembers remembers that anymore. Were, were we in the championship? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. Oh, Is that the one where we just like we had played so much basketball, we all were just we like all cramped. We were, we were all, all just cramped. cramping because we, we had yeah. played so much basketball. It's like four or five games in one day. We, we conceded just, the final we game because we could not play. <laughs> some of us couldn't walk off the court. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a great time. All right, Connor, what about you? Oh, I just, I remember in Tanner's, uh, Tanner's bonus room, we'd all get together and hang out and, you know, and drink terrible soda and pizza. And, uh, and it was really hot there and, and even in the wintertime. And so we would open up the window and stick the fan <laughs> in the window. <laughs> but it was like December and like 15 degrees outside. And Tanner also, like, didn't have a whole lot of blankets in his bonus room. I could never seem to get any. So I had nights where I thought I was going to get, yeah, yeah, something. I, there were nights where I thought I was going to get hypothermia 
Tanner's uh, house. So that was fun. Those memories are. I remember seeing you use like couch cushions as blankets. <laughs> Any object you could find. I, I one time I literally like. I took your side table and I like threw it over my legs a little bit just for something to block. <laughs> just like anything. Anything we could do to survive. I was using Completely. objects that are really cold. They were helping me. I woke up, Connor had a shower curtain over him. <laughs> he just took it down from the shower. Meanwhile, Tanner is sleeping soundly on the only couch in the yeah, bonus room the every couch. single time. Yeah, he was always fine. I almost just yeah. snuck into bed with Ty. On several occasions, uh, I thought about just just coming. You would have welcomed it. Ty's a homie. We had a guest room this whole time, and we never used it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's a good point. I never thought about that until now. Wow, we were very observant. Oh, to be young. What's yours, Luke? Um, man, I I did the same thing where I went through a lot of. I mean, we've done some really, really fun stuff, some really stupid stuff. I was thinking about you know all the dumb. Like when we pulled Ian on my truck through a neighborhood on his skateboard, <laughs> like just destroyed him. He vomited in Tanner's bathroom because I don't know, because he wrecked so hard. I don't know what happened. Uh, sheer pain and yeah, blood loss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian was awesome in a bad. Blood. Ian was in a bad way, but it was also fun. But it was really dumb. Uh, Can we get a doctor to respond and say <laughs> if that's a normal thing that to okay? vomit from blood loss? <laughs> also, also, I mean. A lot of the dumb things have to do with my truck for some reason. Like we, we tried to record a live announcement news feed in the back of my truck while it was moving at night. At, at night, and then, but like I purposely would go up on the curb so that like you guys would almost get thrown out of the back of the truck. And and then we tried we, to convince we were on chairs, yeah, on chairs. <laughs> and then and then we tried to convince our youth pastor to somehow air that in in. In church still, so sorry, Zach, if you're listening for even putting you in that position. <laughs> I think we bleeped out. Yeah, and we bleeped out a swear. Um, but yeah, I mean, just fun, stupid stuff like that. But also, uh, what it came to, what it, what I, what I really, when I was like thinking of it, my favorite times, also like camping trips, things like that. But what it really came down to for me is kind of similar to to what Connor talked about. Is just like kind of the stupid nights that we would just kind of hang out in. Usually Tanner's bonus room, sometimes sometimes Connor's, where most of it would be pretty just just dumb, you know, teenage fun or whatever, or making people drink stupid stuff out of the fridge because they lost a, a trivia game or something ridiculous like that. Making Connor like go out in his underwear and do a snow angel for losing. But I think whenever I think of those nights, those are definitely what stick out to me. Just the different nights where we would kind of just hang out, hang out in your bonus room and just kind of just kind of mess around, but but also, you know, build build our relationships along the way, I guess. Did Connor do the cinnamon challenge? Was that him? Oh, Connor, yeah. we yeah, met, did. but Connor oh. did it for no reason. I just told him to do it. Like he didn't lose anything. And then he vomited. I think I was young and stupid. that was at my yard. That was at my house, and I gave him way too big of a spoonful of cinnamon, which I get. I realized later is actually really dangerous. I didn't realize how dangerous it was. But Connor ate the whole thing and then threw up in the snow in my front yard, and you could see, you could see his his like little vomit, you know, coloration in the snow for like a couple weeks because it didn't melt. <laughs> so, anyone thinking of doing the cinnamon challenge, just just don't do it. It's, it's not actually, worth it. It's actually dangerous. <laughs> don't do it. But Connor they made survived. it. Through. Connor made him into the man he is today. That's right. It really shaped. <laughs> it really shaped you into into who you are. Connor and I were actually talking about this this one little memory. Speaking of the truck. Uh, remember every time we would go to uh, 
to McDonald's or Wendy's or wherever, we'd get ice cream cones and you would chuck them at us in the back seat. Back seat, yeah. Oh, that was so good. Every time. Your own truck. Of my own truck too. That was the really dumb part. It was just self-destructive because after a while, like you guys would just dodge them on purpose. So then. My truck had just a ridiculous amount of ice cream stains in the back seat because you would just dodge it and then try and salvage what was left of it. To eat. <laughs> also, are we allowed to admit to skipping church just to go to Wendy's for the Wendy's uh, crispy chicken sandwiches? Yeah, we'd be pretty. We'd be always be late to church because we were going classic. to get chicken sandwiches. But it was worth it. I'm pretty sure Those I paid for 95% of them, so oh, you guys yeah, all dude. still owe me a lot, owe of a lot of money. Oh, I remember just being like, oh, I got this, I got this, guys. No problem, no problem. But those chicken sandwiches I think the Seahawks up. tickets covered half of it. Oh, that's true. Tanner, Tanner, has, uh, Tanner has paid me back, that's true. <laughs> also, I think I'm legally obligated to mention that we are not sponsored by Wendy's. Not sponsored like by Wendy's. Be, Although, go the 4 for 4s are great. Um, go out to your local Wendy's. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention the laser pointer, Luke. I would not mention the laser pointer because that was the worst possible one. Do you want me to tell yeah, the story? Because I don't think you want me to tell the story. On the closest we came to being arrested. Oh, yeah. The closest, closest I came, came to being arrested. arrested, you idiot. Yeah, we were fine. Luke was the one that was... I don't know. Should we Should we tell that story? No. The closest we came to being arrested, to being shot. Well, now, you, now you've teased um, it like a no, lie. How are we supposed to not tell the story? Come back for the next episode. Next episode. Thanks for listening. That's true. You know, maybe if maybe if someone happens to send us a question about that story, we'll get into it on a, on a future Yeah, we episode. can't just bring it up on our own. If it comes in the mailbag, we have to answer it. That's comes the, the mailbag, we do have to answer it. So if you want to hear about that story, send it to the mailbag, and we'll get into that. We're, basically, the story is that Tanner's a, a jackass. Okay. That is all that the story is. Now I know someone has to More send it in story. so I can I can clear someone please send it in so I can clear it up. There is there is no clearing up to be done. Oh my gosh. All right, guys. I think we're gonna wrap it up there because we could probably talk about uh stories for a long time. So we're gonna call it there. Thanks guys for listening. Um please send us in comments and and things. Um keep those coming, keep the questions coming. Also, we'd love to engage in more uh, conversation about um, quarter life crisis things that we talked about and um, leaving that as an open conversation for, for all of you guys to message either our Instagram or, or either any of us individually if you if you have our information. So thanks for listening. Connor, thanks so much for being on. Connor will be on um, but definitely more often. Um, we love love having him on, love, love talking to him and, and really appreciate your perspective. So thanks, Connor. Yeah, thanks guys. I had a blast. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, take some time to get to know yourself. That was our first time doing it completely natural. <laughs> <laughs>